Hear that? That's the sound of a patient whose health data is protected from a cyber attack. And that, that's the sound of a financial system that's digitally secured from bad actors. Right now, there's an invisible war being fought on a digital battlefield that impacts what we do every day. That's why at Paraton, we do the can't be done to help protect the vital systems we rely on. Because if we don't, the alternative is unimaginable. Paraton. Hello and welcome to another edition of the 1875 podcast. It's a new season coming up, so we've got a new series of podcasts for you. Um, they're going to be every fortnight, essentially weekly, depending on how you take them and how much you want them. Um, as always, I've got Alex and Ollie across from me. Um, lads, it's a new season, new, like I said, new series of podcasts. Um, how has the summer treated you, Alex? Have you enjoyed your time in... Um, this mini lockdown Blackburn's been in, um, or have you been raring to, to get back out there? I've been quite lucky in the sense that I've not actually been in Blackburn, so I've not been locked down as such. I've got family that have been sort of locked down, but um, back at uni now, so basically just ready for the season to start and um, some football to talk about, to be honest. Perfect. And you, Ollie, have, um, has, has anything impacted you? Because you're not from from the, the up north with us, are you? No, no, yeah, my family was, but I'm, yeah, down south. Uh, no, I can't really complain. I've been working throughout, um, but yeah, I guess a little stir crazy, um, working from home constantly, but I guess it's what we've got to do. Um, but yeah, no, looking forward to a new season, I think, given the how the last one ended. I think, I think you're speaking for probably every single football fan there. Um, Looking forward to a new season of football and, of course, with a new season comes that pre-season expectation and, and fans thinking that this year is going to be their year. Players think it's going to be their year. Obviously, Lewis Travis with a recent Instagram post saying that it was going to be going to be Blackburn's year. Of course, one thing that is a huge talking point and will dictate just how much of a good year it's going to be is of course the summer transfer window um so far it's been quiet really hasn't it um Kaminsky's come in um replacing the outgoing loan sign of Christian Walton um Alex I want to start and come to you straight off the bat with the Kaminsky deal it is the only deal so far and we'll get on to our other transfer failings or missteps or whatever you want to call them um, what do you make of the Kaminsky sign? And is he someone that um, excites you or is it just a case of, yeah, he's decent? I think with the Kaminsky signing, I can't really be a hypocritical in the sense that I hadn't heard of him whatsoever before the rumours came out that Friday afternoon. Um, so one thing I would say on Kaminsky is you look at his pedigree, you look at the clubs he's played for in his career, um, you look that he's played in the Europa League, and he's played in one of in a top division within Europe. I know it's probably not one of the top divisions if you look at the broader picture, but he's played in the top division in his country at a top club. So he certainly comes with a lot of experience. Um, I know doing a bit of reading up about him, he might have lost a bit of confidence at his old club and. Um, made a couple of mistakes but I think as Rovers fans we've got to be realistic in the sense that 
we wouldn't be signing somebody who is the finished article and the perfect goalkeeper. So um, I think overall, if you want me to boil it down, I think it's a promising signing and I don't want to be harsh on Christian Walton, um, but I always prefer us to have our own goalkeeper and um, I, I really struggle to imagine him being a downgrade on Christian Walton um, when you look at his performances over the course of last season. I think you make a great point with it being good to have a, a number one that is ours. It means that, you guess, you've got the start of what is hopefully a solid foundation. Um, and at a centre after that, as we are going to speak about in a, in a minute, will only aid that. And I think you are right as well when you say he has got that pedigree. Is the Belgian league the the best league in the world? Of course not, but it's only going to be beneficial, isn't it, having him play in the Europa League? I would definitely agree with that. I think um, I think with Kaminsky, you can only judge him on the performances he puts in in a rather shirt, and um, obviously we look forward to that over the coming weeks, really. Uh, but yeah, as we say, um, I don't really have anything negative to say about that signing, and I think it's probably good to get the what would I call it the monkey off the back of the first European signing. Um, we've you know, we've been lectured for, I would say, 18 months about having a European scouting network without actually anything coming to fruition. Um, so being the cynical person I am, you do kind of doubt its existence. But obviously, I can't do that anymore. So I think it, it was good in that sense as well. Maybe to just confirm or quash any doubts that we had that the club was actually broadening its horizons just beyond the simple championship league one premier league kind of old model re- of recruitment really it certainly is and like you say it's like it's the monkey off the back isn't it it's that first sign of someone from a european club and we've seen it help so many clubs brentford a perfect example um moving on from the signings that we have made or the signing that we have made ollie i'm gonna throw this one to you Obviously, we've missed out on Cedric Kipra. He was expected to come. I know that there was a lot of talk on, on Lanks Telegraph and Lanks Live, and we did have a deal agreed with the administrators of Wigan Athletic. Um, what are your thoughts on Kipra leaving? Is it one of them where it had been a fantastic sign and a, and a great addition to the defence, but when the Premier League comes calling, is he really in a position to turn that down? Yeah, I think you've pretty much summed it up. I don't think as Rovers fans, we've certainly, in recent years, we're fairly used to some frustrations in missing targets or perhaps chasing the wrong targets. But yeah, I think to have a fee agreed in principle and seemingly yeah, a deal on the cards and ready to go is really disappointing to fall through. Just because I think, being realistic, that's it was a just the sort of perfect calibre of player that we'd be looking to get. So that back end of the season, Wigan were defensively one of the best going, very unfortunate to be relegated and were one of the form sides. They were a team that were defensively really resolute. Um, so you were we were bringing in a player that has been part of that system and knows the championship and knows the other teams. And you're, you are sort of bringing in a ready-made defender to come into our side and you know partner alongside our own defenders so it's it's it is quite galling to to sort of have it nearly there but 
I don't begrudge the fact that he's gone to West Brom. I think if you get the opportunity to play in the Premier League and you're going to be on significantly higher wages than we're going to be offering, um, yeah, you're not going to turn it down. So we just, I think we just have to suck it up. We can be frustrated and annoyed, but when when that position comes along, it's completely understandable. And I think you just have to move on and hopefully we've got kind of other targets that we're pursuing where we can actually get someone over the line to come into the defence because, yeah, it's probably the, after Kaminsky, it is the that kind of other main priority to, to address. You mentioned other targets there, the three names that have been mentioned in the, the media. There's Saar, who, of course... Alan Nixon mentioned is on our list. Nat Phillips from Liverpool. I think he spent last season on loan at Stuttgart and they got promoted from the Bundesliga 2. And then one that came out today, actually, um, Daniel Ayala, who was obviously released from Middlesbrough. Um, it seems like he's going to back back to Spain and we've essentially been priced out of a move. Is that disappointing as well, Ollie, that these players, especially Ayala, the one that's come out today, um, it just seem a bit out of our reach? Yeah, I think the one of the three, Ayala, is definitely some a player we've genuinely pursued and missed out on. I th- again, sort of probably even almost, I think Kipper would have represented a yeah a, a really positive step forward. I think Ayala would have represented a really solid buy. I mean, Middlesbrough fans are probably very frustrated they've not managed to get promoted or kind of be as good as they were hoping but I've always I've always thought Ayala is a very very kind of solid championship level central defender and for for a side that's kind of got similar ambitions to us but again if if it was a wages issue or it seems to be that he was wanting to go back and play in Spain I think he's 29 again it's somewhat understandable or Perhaps we, you know, we we do have a ceiling internally with what we can realistically pay players, and I think it's probably wise that we didn't make an offer good enough to convince him to stay in the country, um, because then you're sort of carrying a level of risk with that. But we're not quite sure. I think with the other two, quite often the stumbling block. I mean, they're rumoured as opposed to kind of genuine links, but the stumbling block is often can we afford the wages or the transfer? I think if you look at Phillips, he's yeah part of Liverpool's academy. And yeah, he was in Bundesliga 2 last season, but I, you would like to think his wages is would be a potential deal is something that we could meet financially, I think, given his position at Liverpool. And then equally with Saar, I can't imagine Charlton had a wage structure above and beyond ours. I'd expect it was lower than ours, having come up from League One. So he's a free agent. I think, you know, Charlton did get relegated last season, but I think they surprised quite a few for a lot of the season in terms of how good they were. Um, and again, slightly unfortunate to go down. But it would have been a good signing. Um, he That may well still come through. Yeah, as I said, he is a free agent and it's not quite sure what the position is, but you wouldn't think it was a wages issue given the club he's just been at and the contract he'd have been on. But yeah, hopefully something comes through. We certainly hope so. And Alex, I'd throw this one to you. I don't know um, how well versed you're with scouting, whether you've read, obviously, my, my fellow host, Andy Watson's scouting uh, book, which you should all definitely check out, by the way, because it's a fantastic read. 
is it anyone that takes your fancy from there or in general a centre half that you look at and think yeah um, would you be open for another loan signing for example I think that's a really difficult question to answer when I don't I don't think any of us really know what kind of level of finance that we're playing with in either wages or transfer funds um I think the I think the rumored fee of Kipre was just under a million pounds so that probably indicates that we do have that kind of ballpark to spend um and again with the wages a lot of that's dependent on whether we can offload some players we've already got at the club which I think we'll go on to talk about but I think of the of the players we've mentioned I think I would personally look at Phillips from Liverpool um, due to his experience last season getting promoted from the Bundesliga too um, but equally Marbury's kind of flip-flopped in the media talking one minute about playing out from the back and playing this new, exciting, expansive, progressive style. Then on the other hand, saying he wants a man to play at the back with next to Lenehan. So there seems to be a bit of mixed messaging. And I think when you take that into account, it's quite difficult to maybe anticipate what sort of player they'll, they'll be going for. Because I think Kipre and Ayala are two completely different sort of players. And they're really the only two confirmed links of players we knew that Rovers were absolutely interested in and were going in for. So it's a really difficult one. I know we like to criticise the powers at the club, but I do understand that they do have an exceptionally difficult job as well. I think especially in the current climate as well, everything just is a bit unknown, isn't it? Like I say, finances were always going to be tight, but given the revenue streams that have been cut off with COVID. It's it's even tighter, isn't it? Um, Ollie, can we cope without defensive reinforcements? I mean, let's just roll off some of the names. Obviously, one of these names now um, is expected to leave. Um, two of them, if I throw Charlie Mulgrew in there as well. So we'll go, we'll go for these four names. Williams, Mulgrew, Maglore and Wharton. Now, Williams obviously attracted interest from Swansea, a couple of MLS clubs. Mulgrew's expected to sign for Fleetwood in the coming days. Then obviously you've got the academy lads. I don't think we're going to get anyone in for the Bournemouth game. If come October the window closes and we haven't brought in a central defender, is that curtains for the season or do you think we will be able to cope? I think it may well... Are we going to, I know we're doing a separate piece on this. If we had realistic ambitions to improve on last season and make a challenge for the top six, you, I would, I think that puts quite a large dent in that. I think, can we cope in terms of as a football club and retain championship status as a, an overall outcome? Yeah, I, I don't think that, that wouldn't worry me particularly. I think we're, I'm not his biggest fan with Williams. I think if we were genuinely not going to get someone in, I don't think he would leave. I do. I expect Mulgrew to leave. When Lenehan and Williams have played together as a centre-back pairing, it's all right. It it has been okay, um, and sometimes more than okay. 
I think the issue is injuries and so if they if if that was our season and we could sort of say they're going to play 35 40 games as our pairing that's pretty much okay I think just about I think Alex made some really good points on the last pod we did around how Tosin being in that left-sided position and dealing with issues at left-back, I do think that is something that if we're then relying on a Mulgrew, if he's ended up staying around, but his sort of legs have gone, or one of the youngsters is having to step in because of injuries, and you're dealing with yeah, perhaps additional inexperience at left-back or chopping and changing that position, that really does become a concern. Um, not a concern that I think we'll, you know, we're going to end up right at the other end of the table, but just it, I think it would be, it's too much. I think it's too much pressure on the youngsters. Um, even in, you know, Lenehan spends a part of every season out injured for, you know, a spell. Williams has had some ongoing injuries and has missed quite a lot of the last season. So, yeah, it is. it would be quite a concern, I think. I think I tend to agree with you. That without Obviously, it's, it's easy to forget that Adarabayo played such a huge part in the quality of the, the centre-back pairing last season that without him, we're a weaker side. Um, it's easy as well to forget that centre-half is probably not the only position that needs reinforcements and, and improving. Alex... The left-back position, obviously Greg Cunningham was signed last season on loan from Cardiff. He was obviously the first choice until his injury. Um, Amari Bell certainly splits opinion. Um, sometimes you look at him and you think he's got all the attributes to be a, a very good championship player. And then other times you see him and he really does struggle. What are our fullback options? Do you go with Bell or do you think we need to bring someone in? and, and utilise Bell as more of a, a backup or a, a rotation player? I think when you look at the market and you look at maybe the positions we need to strengthen, I would probably split it down into three chunks. The positions we absolutely have to strengthen, the ones where if, you know, in an, in an ideal world we'd get in category two and then in category three, if there's any money left at the end, try and get a loan in at the last minute. And I would say that centre-back and left-back, a first choice in each of those positions is just the absolute imperative. Um, and I think look, listening to all of the, you know, the media reports we've heard, I think Marbury agrees with that because, well, A, he did bring Cunningham in last season. So we obviously thought that that position needed to be improved. And obviously he's gone back, so I'm, I'm sure he's looking to improve that position again. And then the same goes for Tossin as well. So it, it, it all boils down really to what our ambitions are as a club. You know, if if the owners are happy treading water, finishing 12 to 15th every season, then yeah, we could probably keep Bell and sign a centre-back. Um, if they if their ambition was to maybe stay in the division, just stay in the division, we probably wouldn't need to sign anybody. Um, but if the aim is top six, then we will need players in both those positions. And more importantly, we'll need them to stay fit because 
looking at the squad at the minute, I would say the strength in depth, particularly if we do lose the players that are rumoured to be leaving, you know, we, I think we are going to be stretched, you know, particularly when I don't think people realise just how intense this season's going to be. I mean, we're starting the season nearly two months late, but by Boxing Day, we'll have, we will only be one game behind the normal schedule. So this run up to Christmas now is going to be brutal, really, on the players. So I, I can only really see a situation where injuries develop and we'll need a squad. So I think that's a big concern. But to boil, you know, to go back to your question, I think we absolutely need a left back and a centre back. They are the absolute bare minimum, and we, I think we need those in as soon as we can. I think you make a fair point there that I guess it does all come down to what are the aspirations. Like you say, if Venkis are happy to to sit there and and mosey on around mid table then do they really need to contribute any more funds or an excessive amount of funds to go and better the left-back position? But if you do want to be challenging, then really you do need to be improving. And they, like you say, make a fantastic point with the, the season. We spoke about it a lot with the mini-season that we had towards the end of last, where injury is going to play a big part. could be the same here. It could be the, the, the best chance for a team to really be dark horses and... and go and, and take the league by the scruff of the neck. Um, anyway, Ollie, we have touched on it um, already. The potential outgoings, obviously there's, there's Derek Williams, Charlie Mulgrew, those are just two. Um, what do you think of that? I know we have touched on it already, but just briefly. Mulgrew, yeah, his time seems to be up at the club, doesn't seem happy, his Twitter suggests that. Um, Williams, though, do you keep him around just for that strength in depth? Because he can play two positions. Yeah, I think um, I think Mulgrew, yeah, very, really great player. Done a lot for us as a club, but I think it would have been, I'd have happily seen him have left permanently last season, even though he went out on loan. So I think it's probably, yeah, he's probably due to actually leave the club and it frees up important wages that need to, will be better spent elsewhere um and I, that's no just he, he's done you know scored that goal at Doncaster you know an unforgettable moment for the team so but he doesn't seem happy he uh, yeah he is one of the top earners his age is is very relevant to his ability to kind of be an effective centre-back for us anymore um so yeah I think he it's better that he goes now um I think as I said earlier with Williams he's an okay player um he's much better at centre-back than he is at left-back um I think it's he's more suited to that position and it's good I always think it's good to have a a left footer on that left side of of centre-half um which is a nice yeah it's a nice option to have I do I do think it will be dependent on I don't think he would leave unless we had someone coming in. I, I don't know that for sure, but it would seem that would seem really, really concerning if we let him go to a another championship rival in Swansea or over to the MLS. I mean, it may not end up being our choice if he forced the move, but it would seem it would seem quite alarming to 
let a senior defender go when we have no other, when it's such a problem position already. So hopefully not as things currently stand. I think if we brought in certainly one, like a, a really good caliber signing. So if, you know, if we brought in Kipra or an Ayala, I wouldn't, I wouldn't see it as a problem with Williams going. So it would need to be a signing of kind of similar stature or a couple of signings to then say, yeah, it's Williams should go because it makes sense for him to move and it frees up wages. Certainly, is this? I think Williams is the interesting one there, isn't he? It's it's a case of do you get rid of him and think, well, there's an extra five hundred thousand to spend or not? It, it it's a tough one, and I, in that that sense, I wouldn't want to be in Tony Mowbray's shoes. Moving on though. We're going on to the players that are at the club now and aren't looking at leaving, at least we hope. Um, just plays to watch this season. Um, Alex, I'm going to throw this first one to you. Um, Bradley Dack, obviously he returns soon, we hope. How much of a boost is that? And can he rediscover the form that he had when he was injured? Because it, it's easy to forget that it, what it was December that we lost Dak to injury. And obviously, at the time, we thought it would curtail our season. It didn't do until the last, really, 10 games when we really needed his quality. Um, but is that a boost, Alex? Is, if he can recapture his form, is it all of a sudden, does it alleviate some of the pressure? I think definitely relieves some of the pressure on Brereton and Gallagher, um, which... In a in a strange way, I kind of think they need the pressure to maybe think about the performances a bit more and try and be on the tours. But I think it's a definite boost. I think I just I remember that Wigan game and I remember the the injury and I think there's almost sort of a sinking feeling around the whole ground because Rovers fans just know which players are the important ones. And I think it's safe to say Dak has, over the course of his time at the club, has just proven time and time again, he comes up with the goal when no one else can in the last five minutes of a game. You know, a really stodgy game, like Barnsley at home last year, he comes up with the goal late on to win us the game. That can't be replicated by anybody else, really. And... I think I'm more concerned about how Marbury will fit Dak into the new system than if Dak will perform at his usual rate because I think Dak's had a bad knee injury before before when he was at Gillingham and managed to bounce back quite strongly at Rovers. So I think that's why we got him on such a cheap fee in the end. So I'm, I'm less concerned about that, but I'm more concerned about how he fits into this 4-3-3 whether he plays in the midfield three, which I don't think suits him whatsoever. But then if he plays in the front three, can he play that as that? Well, Morbury tried to toy around with a false nine, didn't he? But Holtby there, the first few games after lockdown, um, you wouldn't bet against Dak playing that false nine, would you? I wouldn't bet against him playing there, but I don't think that's his... How would I, How do I say this? 
I don't think it's utilising our best player very well. Um, I'm not that keen on the false nine from what I've seen at Rovers, where it's not often things can look very good on paper, but in practice they kind of fall apart. And I think that false nine position, the player has got to have something about them to make the defenders slightly worried. You know, when you play Armstrong in the down the middle, he has the extra pace. You know, the defence worry about that and therefore he gets a bit more space. When you have a player like Dak or Holtby, you know, small in stature, but then also not that quick in the grand scheme of things, I don't think it plays to their strengths. So it will be interesting to see how he, you know, he, he well whether he fits him in well or badly, you know, because... That's been, that's always been my conundrum with the four three three, which we've been moving to at an ever greater rate over the past few months. That when Dak does eventually come back into the thinking and into the squad, how we will be able to utilise him like we have done for the past few seasons, really. I think it's it's just something that's on the lips of most Rovers fans, isn't it? How does Bradley Dak fit into this current Rovers side and? You have to fit him in somehow. I mean, for me, I'd sooner go back to that four-five-one, if you will, and play still back in that number ten. Um, but that's just me. Um, I'm not Tony Mowbray, and I'm sure everyone has different opinions, um, as they should in football. Um, Ollie, Alex touched on him just then. Adam Armstrong, obviously. Last season, especially when Dak got injured, he really did come into his own and was fantastic. Our, our main man, really. Um, can he carry that season over? Can he carry that end of season form over? Yeah, I'd like to think so. Um, I think his injury record speaks for itself, so I don't think that's that's not something I look at as a concern with Armstrong, even though you know players that quick players who play a lot of football at a young age that often, you know, you think of someone like a Michael Owen, they can have issues as they kind of go into their 20s, but hopefully not with Armstrong. His fitness record's very good. Every football fan in every division kind of wants a 20-goal-a-season striker. If you, if you sort of take his form from Dak's injury, we've sort of potentially got one sat in our squad already. If he... If he plays like that across 46 games, he's going to score over 20 goals um, in terms of his rate of scoring from December onwards. Yeah, and I don't see any reason why not. We, you know, you guys have been talking about formations. I think Armstrong, Armstrong's played in a 4-2-3-1, a 4-5-1, a 4-3-3. He's played centrally. He's played as a wide attacker on the left. He's sometimes gets switched over and plays parts of games coming in from the right. And he has, and that's, that has happened even with Dak's injury and he has still scored goals. So, and yeah, I think we noted it in the last pod and it's, yeah, yeah, you just look at our goal of the season competition. He's been hitting them in from, from range, from inside the box. He's good in one-on-one positions. So yeah, I think, He's yeah already got up and running again in our first competitive game against Doncaster Rovers in the Carabao Cup. 
So, yeah, hopefully that's a sign that he is going to carry on that form. Um, and we certainly need with Graham and Samuel going, not that I think we'd be expecting a huge goal return from, the, from them if they were still here. We do need, we need to ensure we're, you know, we've got goals in the side. And he, I think as things stand, you look at him as our top scorer for next season. Um, and I, I'd be surprised if that isn't the case come the end of the season. I'd be pleasantly surprised if it's someone else has outscored him, but I think he probably will be our top scorer next season. I tend to agree. I think Armstrong obviously does carry our probably greatest goal threat, um, aside from Bradley Dak. And depending on what system we play, Dak may not have that same goal threat without someone like Danny Graham. So you're certainly right with that. Um, I've got another player I just want to touch on myself, Lewis Holtby in that deeper position. Um, obviously, a lot was expected of the lad when he come when he came in. He, he comes with pedigree, doesn't he? Um, could this be his season? Um, like I said, Stuart Day not coming back, playing Holtby in that deeper role um, could be perfect. Just super quick as well uh, on this section. Breakout season, just one player, no explanation. Um, Ollie, who do you think is going to have a breakout season this year where, where they really cement their place in Rovers' team, similar to how Lewis Travis has done? This will come back and haunt me, but I'll say Brereton. Um, uh, it's, it's an interesting one. I think Brereton, he's not had a bad pre-season, has he? Um, and he's shown in glimpses in that lockdown period what he could do. Obviously got his goal against Reading, I think it was. Um, so I, I don't think he'll be the only one that says that, but obviously it is, it is one of them. It needs to happen for him, doesn't it? Yeah, I think so. And um but it, I, it's a bit of deja vu for me. I, I think I, I wouldn't wish injury upon any of our players, but I think in some respects it helps for the start of the season that Mowbray doesn't have a choice between Gallagher or Brereton. I think that was a problem across all of last season, chopping and changing and trying to get one of them scoring. Brereton has to start the season with Armstrong. I think we know we're going to play a 4-3-3 with those two plus someone else on that as part of that front three so I think he's he's set to start the season which I think he should have done last season um and yeah he needs to take his chance so hopefully he does Alex who have you got in mind for his having the breakout season of course a, a few options and so Rankin Costello Buckley Dolan who's come through from Preston I'll I'll go over the left field pick and n- go with someone you haven't mentioned yet, and I'll say Jack Vale. Um, okay. Just because I think of all of the I would say younger academy lads that I've seen in his little cameo, he seemed to produce something I don't think the others have got. Just that direct playing that trickery that maybe only you would say Chapman might have. So I'll, I'll go with Jack Vale, although he, he is struggling with injury at the minute. So I hope that can clear up as the season progresses. But yeah, I'll, I'll go with Jack Vale. Maybe not to have a full-on breakout season, but to show his promise, definitely. I think that's the one good thing, isn't it? Our academy, and obviously all of you with Burton, who we signed for a substantial fee, but our academy does seem to have some little gems in. Obviously, I spoke about it before, but Rankin Costello, I've been a fan of him for for some time now and I'm I'm really excited 
see him this season. I think if anyone is that third man up front, I'd like it to be him. Um, Buckley, Dolan's come through and really just took, taken Rose by storm, really, after his release from Preston. So, despite the lack of signings, especially at the top end of the pitch, there does seem to be some, especially from the academy side of things, some bright stars in there. Um, so the expectations this season, boys, again, super quick, really, because I don't think much needs to be said on it. Oli, what are you expecting from Rovers this season? Are the playoffs a stretch? Currently, with the current squad, I would say yes. But as a, as a team, is that, and as fans, is that what we should be aiming for? I think, I th- yeah, I think so. Um, I felt any, if any, any fans that had a true expectation that we should have been in the playoffs last season, although it was certainly possible, I don't think it would have been fair second season back to say that that we definitely should be in the top six. It was certainly an outside ambition. I think third season, if you put the transfer window to one side, I do think as fans, given given the quality of our squad and yeah, the potential we've shown to be flirting with the idea of being in the top six, I do think it's a fair ambition to have. Um, I certainly think, I still think it's, I thought it was a weak division last year. I think it's probably weaker still this season. I'm, I don't, I don't think that much of the teams that have come down. I think they've got pretty big problems to deal with. I don't think there are any particular standout teams. I think Brentford will be losing their best players. And I, yeah, I look across and I don't think the teams that were in and around the top six. I still don't look at anyone as particularly better than us. Probably with the exception of maybe Derby um, and I think Stoke are probably going to be quite strong because they look very good under Michael O'Neill um, towards the back end of last season. So I don't, I don't think there's anything to fear about the teams that, you know, teams that we can't beat or we're not as good as. Um, I think the two teams that left last season in Leeds and West Brom were a lot better than us as well as Fulham from the playoffs. Um, yeah, I think it's a pretty open, yeah, open competition. And, and I, I, despite current frustrations, I think at the very least we will get a centre-back by, even if it ends up being into October as the window closes, I think someone will come in. I think it always happens, doesn't it, in transfer windows, just to go back on ourselves, like we said. As the season, as the transfer window progresses, the clubs are more willing to part with players because they think, right, OK, we tried to get this. They've not paid. We do need money. Let's accept this. Um, and of course, players that don't get clubs as well, as the transfer window goes on, they're going to look at it and think, OK, well, I'm not getting anywhere here. I need to get a club. I'll accept less. Um, Alex, Ollie mentioned it, the clubs that have come down. Of course, a nice little segue for us on to our preview of the game on Saturday against Bournemouth. Obviously, they've spent five or six seasons now in the, the Premier League. They were an established side, obviously come down. Lots of change. Eddie Howe's gone. Obviously selling some of the best players. Wilson, Nathaniel Ake, King. There's talk of him leaving, um, which obviously could help our own transfer funds. Alex, there's lots of change. What are you expecting? Is it a positive or a negative that they're recently relegated? 
Um, is it that losing culture that'll be ingrained in them? Can we exploit that, or are they going to have that quality to take us take us down? Basically, I think with the relegated clubs, when you face them early on, I think there's two groups really that you would enjoy facing, and I would say one of those is probably the clubs that have had a absolutely shocking season in the Premier League, like Huddersfield had the previous year, or what would I call it, a club that's been in there for four, five, six, seven years, and then they come down with a huge wage bill, and then they have a massive turnover of players, and the club is in a huge flux, you know, with hundreds of millions, you know, going out and then spending a similar amount trying to build a squad back together again. And I think Bournemouth obviously fit into that second category, really. So... I think it's probably a good time to face them. I know Marbury has said repeatedly that he likes having the first game away from home. I do tend to agree with him on that. You know, you get the adrenaline levels. The adrenaline is pumping, isn't it? And I almost feel like you can play it as a bit of a cup tie the first game. So, yeah, I'm not I'm not too concerned about facing Bournemouth. I don't think they've made many additions at all. In fact, I don't think they've made any additions yet. And all I've really been seeing in the press has been, you know, which star asset they've been losing from, you know, one day to the next. So it's a, it's definitely a club in huge flux. And I hope we can take advantage of that because although Rovers haven't signed as many players as we'd like, they haven't had a massive squad turnover. And so, you know, if, if one thing is for sure, then... Um, the players should certainly be familiar with each other and I think that probably gives us a slight advantage going into Saturday's game. Obviously, not taking into account the vast quality that will still be, you know, you know, just flowing throughout the Bournemouth team. So, yeah, I don't think it's a bad time to play them, but, yeah, I, I'm, not, I'm not too pessimistic, really, con, you know, concerning facing a newly relegated team on the first day. I think we found out, didn't we, when we were in League One? You know, it's not easy for the newly, the, the recently relegated team. Um, they're there to be shot at, aren't they? They've been there, like you said. Bournemouth, especially, have a huge wage bill. Players like Dominic Solanke, still at the club, who, who will be on significant money. Um, I was bought for significant money as well. 30 million, I think, you were bought for. So, they, like you said, a bit of a flux, similar to Stoke, I guess, um, when they came down and they just really haven't, like you say, brought anyone in. So it could be a perfect time to play them and get three points on the board. Predictions then, Ollie, what are you going with um, on Saturday? Yeah, very optimistic. I think, um, uh, yeah, I completely agree with Alex. I think they're in not in, in very good shape at all. Uh, I think we'll win 2-0. 2-0, is um optimistic. New Alex, goalkeeper, clean sheet, I think. It would be the, the perfect story, wouldn't it, if Kaminsky got the uh, clean sheet on his debut for the club, pulling off two or three uh, wonder serves. Um, Alex, what's your prediction for the game on Saturday? I'm not sure uh, Manuel Neuer could keep a clean sheet with our defence in front of him. Uh, so I'll go with a, I'll probably go with a two-two draw. I think we'll, I think we'll, I think we'll concede. So, but a two-two draw wouldn't be a bad start in my opinion. So I'll go with that. And I think I'll go 1-1. I think I'm the same as you, Alex. Um, 
I'd like to say we're going to win. I'm not 100% sure. And uh, Bournemouth will pose a threat despite their um, despite the problems they're facing at the moment. I just wish I had the same positivity um, that Ollie has. Um, but it'll come. It's been it's been sucked out of me these uh, past couple of seasons. But um, we'll see. I hope Ollie is right and that um, we wake up with that egg in our face on Sunday morning. Uh, moving on then to some of the listeners' questions. Um, now there are a couple of names. I say a couple. There's there's one particular name um, or Twitter name here that um, I am gonna butcher. So I'm very sorry if it's wrong. Um, but the first question I'm gonna throw it to you, Ollie. It's from Weggers Weggers Wiggle or Weggers Le Wiggle. Um, like I said, I apologise if I butchered that. Or Weggers Le Wiggle is it a German a German one? Anyway, we touched on it obviously earlier on. But where is Dak fitting into the system, Ollie? Do you revert back to the four-five-one, or do you think Mowbray's going to play him in that false nine? I think I know Alex touched upon it earlier. Um, I think I do think Mowbray has been playing this four-three-three system with a view to where Dak fits into it. I think we're going to see it in action and see if it does work when he's back available. And I think it's to be seen how well that works. To me, I think he tried Holtby, but I don't think Holtby was the right person for that role. I think Dak is a better option to play in the false nine. And I think it I think it's largely dependent on who he's paired with in that front three. So he'll be sort of sat as a yeah, in that false position. To me, it does make sense. It makes sense as a system if he's got Brereton on the right and Armstrong to his left. Because I think it provides, because I do actually think, and I think we saw it in the friendly against Leicester, it, it is actually quite narrow as a system and the width is coming from your fullbacks. So I don't I don't view Brereton and Armstrong as playing wide. They are almost like a pair of wide attackers, but not, but remaining quite narrow. I think with Brereton, you, with both of them, you've got pace. With Brereton, you've got height and someone who can win the ball and wrestle with centre-backs and look to play. Dak can look to play off him and knock down balls, similar to a Graham. And then I think with a willing runner in someone like Armstrong, who's going to be on the shoulder, if you can get the ball into Dak high up the pitch, he is the type of player that we've been missing in those frustrating draws through the back end of last season where you want that moment of magic or the someone's ability to sort of take the ball on the half turn, beat a player and play a killer pass or have a shot on goal. So I, I, I can see it working. If it doesn't work, then yeah, he needs to just go back to 4-2-3-1 and put Dak in that prime position. But then I think you end up with a new question mark on who plays who plays as that central single striker to complement Dak and it possibly then is an Armstrong because he lacks the height and physicality for Dak to play off. So then you're looking at a Gallagher or a Brereton and they haven't proven yet that they can lead the line as a, as a single a single striker as yet. So to be seen, I think. I think you think you're right there. Um, for its worth, I think I would just automatically revert to that four-two-three-one, um, and probably put Gallagher in there. But then, 
Lewis Holtby misses out, but then he's probably going to miss it anyway if we're trying to force Dak back into the squad. Um, Alex, throw this one to you. Rock and Run 85 off Twitter. Um, just how frustrating is the lack of defenders? Obviously, it's, it's three windows now that we failed to add a permanent sign into the defence. I think Ollie summed it up before. When you look at the league, it just... And I know people say this every single year, so I don't really want to sound too cliched, but I probably am anyway. The league looks just so much weaker this season um, when you take into account who's been promoted and then who's come down. And then you also look at the fact that Sheffield Wednesday have had points deducted and you look at the clubs coming up from League One. The league just doesn't appear to be that you know that as you know as fiercely competitive as it was last year and I think that's probably what makes it all the more frustrating because I don't think Rovers are a million miles away from competing quite well at this level but at times we've locked it due to glaring holes we've had in the squad that just haven't been addressed over many many seasons now so like you say so to, to answer the question, yeah, ex- extremely frustrating because I don't think we are as far away as some people think. But I think, as we know in this league, the the deficiencies that you have are often magnified tenfold. And then, you know, even with a great squad that we had under Boyer, for example, you know, we maybe had weaknesses in certain areas, probably in central midfield and you end up finishing 10 points outside the playoffs, even more than that, you know, with such a good squad. So this league has a habit of magnifying any weaknesses you have. So, yeah, just extremely frustrating. Certainly does, I think, that Boyer team, isn't it? I know when I spoke to him, I think he mentioned himself, that FA Cup with Liverpool was one of the, the contributing factors there, he feels. Um, and I do tend to agree with him. Um, Ollie Jones asks, has COVID changed Venky's long-term plan, do we think? Obviously, there's transfers, the debt, and do they still see Rovers as an asset? Obviously, it's a bit of a loaded question, but Ollie, if you can touch briefly on that. Yeah, difficult one to answer with any, it's an opinion more than anything, but I I think there was something on Lanks Live this evening with um, Waggett speaking about, yeah, the kind of ambitions this summer and they're still aiming for sort of two two definitely but up to four targets there they seem to be aggressively scouting across Europe which so we quite often we're unsure about what the targets are so I there is money available we've also got potential windfall from uh yeah Josh King moving and then potentially if David Rea also moves we, we get some sell-on fees the noises coming out of the club are that yeah they're supporting the ambitions of Mowbray and that seemed to be echoed by Waggett in the players they're trying to get in but that's a lot of hot air if you don't actually get players in the training ground and on the pitch for us to yeah watch so the sounds of things are that I think things are still they're still with us as owners and they're still working with Mowbray and want to get us back to the Premier League but actions speak louder than words, I think, and that, that wouldn't be the first time people have sort of aimed that at Steve Waggett when he's spoken. 
openly so to be seen i think um but yeah and you could probably even say you know kipra would have been a very good signing and that you know the money was there for the transfer fee and the wages and the the deal was ready to go so to me that's speed and same with ayala we were trying to get it done um so i think the ambition is there but it yeah it needs to kind of come through but uh I think, I think the money's definitely there. I think that's one thing I will say that the money's there should Mowbray want to spend it, but obviously it's very particular. And we do have to be careful. We don't want to find ourselves in a position where we're in a, a transfer a ban or we end up having points deducted because it, it could signal another relegation, which I don't think anybody wants. Um, and finally, the final question that we had, um, Chris Gregson asks, how many points in the opening five games if it is zero, do you still support Tony Mowbray? So I'll ask you both this. Um, Alex, if you could touch on the supporting of Mowbray as well, how many points do you think we'll get in the opening five? We are notoriously slow starters, historically. I think with that into account, and the fixtures we've got are difficult, I would say, by the opening two games. I'll go with... Six points from the opening five. Six. Five, five or six points. Say Mowbray was to get zero, would you still be saying give him time? <laughs> the short answer to that is no. <laughs> okay. Um, and Ollie, how many points in the opening five games do you see us getting? Um, the the fixture list is not kind. There's, we open with two banana skins, a relegated club and then a promoted club. And we know what happened at home to promoted clubs last season. And then, what is it, Derby are very good, Cardiff are very good, and then Forest who are pretty good. And then even beyond that, it's Watford. It's, uh, yeah, I think probably, maybe, yeah, a couple of wins and a draw, I'd like to think, maybe. So that's seven. Um, I'm going to say eight I'd back us to get eight it is a tough start like it is but I think there's there's this room there that we shouldn't be scared I don't think of any of them they're no. good teams that we're playing no doubt about that but I don't think we should be scared um, of the teams that we're coming up against would I support him if we were to get zero points in those opening five yes but I do think patience from all fans would start to wear very very thin and on that bombshell as jeremy clarkson used to say that's your lot um obviously alex and ollie it's been fantastic fantastic to speak to you both this evening um and it's obviously been fantastic to have the listeners here as well Obviously, check out all our other podcasts. We have the the series of Meets podcasts where we spoke to players and former managers. Obviously, Brad Friedel, Gary Boyer, two of the standouts there, but countless others, Jake Keane, Andy Todd. Um, definitely check them out because I think Andy did a, a ton of them and put some fantastic effort in them and, and really did brilliant in pulling them off. Obviously, check out the YouTube channel. I think there's been a fantasy football one that's come up today, which is definitely worth checking out. And then obviously, 
just to plug Andy's um, scouting network book again, check that out because it really is an interesting read to all you statisticians out there. And thank you very much for listening. Take care and goodbye. So alluring, a boy, so entranced, a song, so inviting, you start to advance, we're locked in a gaze and can't look away. With fast funding up to $10,000 available through net credit, our online application process was designed to get the money you need quickly if approved. You can borrow an amount that meets your needs and repay in a way that works for your financial situation. And we report on-time payments to credit bureaus, so you can build credit history as you repay. See what net credit can do for you today. Check your eligibility without affecting your credit score at netcredit.com. All net credit loans and lines of credit are offered by a member of the net credit family of companies or one of our lending partners. Visit netcredit.com partners for more information.